Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC Studios, it's Brian Lehrer, a daily politics podcast. It's Monday, September 19th. It's seven weeks and one day before Election Day. Early voting is a lot closer than that. The lead guest on most of the national Sunday talk shows was New York Mayor Eric Adams on the busing of migrants seeking political asylum, mostly from Texas to New York, some sent by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis last week to Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts by plane, as has, of course, been in the news. Republican Senate candidate Joe O'Day of Colorado said on NBC's Meet the Press that the busing to elsewhere and the flying to elsewhere is fair as thousands of the asylum seekers arrive at the border states every week, and he defended Florida Governor Ron DeSantis that way. People call what he did cruel. You know what's cruel is ignoring this issue. Democrats are ignoring it. Colorado Republican Senate candidate Joe O'Day. The human rights group WOLA, or WOLA, estimates that arrivals of migrants from Cuba, Nicaragua, and Venezuela have more than quadrupled since 2021. In the 10-month period ending in July, this July just passed, it says there were 438,000 arrivals from those countries alone. And that doesn't even include those coming from Guatemala and Honduras, who had mostly been coming before and are still arriving in significant numbers to seek asylum too. But Mayor Adams said on ABC's This Week program that he would be happy to coordinate with all 50 states and the federal government on housing for asylum seekers while their cases are heard. But he said apparently the busing is not about that. Uh, We reached out to Governor Abbott when we first discovered uh, that he was compelling uh, people to get on the bus. He was tagging them. Uh, He was sending them them on a 45-hour ride without any proper food, water, or medical care. Uh, We reached out and stated that let's coordinate and work together uh, so we can deal with this crisis together. They refused to do so. They refused to do so. Mayor Eric Adams on ABC yesterday. The influx from Venezuela and Cuba presents a new political dilemma for Republicans. Nicaragua, too, really, considering who's in charge of that country. These are countries with left-wing governments, and immigrants from those countries often vote Republican when they become citizens here, right? That's especially important in Florida with its large Cuban population over the years, and yet it was largely Venezuelans who Governor DeSantis used as political pawns to send to Martha's Vineyard. A New York Times-Siena poll released in the last few days finds only a third of Latino voters say they are likely to vote Republican for Congress this year, but they are split about evenly on which party they say they agree with more on issues. Among all voters, the poll finds Democrats have a lead by two points on the question of which party people will vote for for Congress. Statistically, that's really a tie because it's within the poll's margin for error. But a tie means it's competitive, obviously, which is better than most midterm elections for the party that has the current president. And importantly, independent voters, listen to this stat. That's non-Democrats, non-Republicans, independent voters, right? See the country heading in the right direction significantly more than they did just two months ago. In July, the Times-Siena poll found only 9% of independents said the country is headed in the right direction. Now it has tripled to 27%. 
If it stays that way, that should be good for the Democrats, bad for the Republicans in the battle for control of Congress. With us now, Stephen Shepard, senior campaigns and elections editor and chief polling analyst for Politico. Hi, Steve. Thanks for coming on again. Welcome back to WNYC. Do we have Steve Shepard? Can you hear me, Brian? Ah, now I can hear you. Okay. Hey there. Welcome back to WNYC. Um, Thank you for having me. How important is that right direction finding among independents in the New York Times-Siena poll, as far as you could tell? Look, I think that it's pretty central to um, President Biden's recovery in the polls over the past few months. We've seen a lot of that movement come, yes, from Democratic voters who were dissatisfied with his job performance uh, or became dissatisfied with his job performance, especially given the congressional inaction in Washington, uh, but also among independents. Uh, We're not seeing it at all among Republicans, which is perhaps not surprising in these polarized times. Uh, But we are seeing that recovery among independents. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, a lot of those independent voters, especially those who describe themselves as moderate voters, not all independents do, but but a good portion do, uh, those are going to be the voters vacillating between candidates in both parties in key congressional, Senate, gubernatorial elections across the country. And to the extent that they are developing a more positive opinion about the direction of the country as we get closer to election day, that seems like a prerequisite for uh, President Biden's party and for the Democratic Party to have uh, a, a decent shot of, of controlling the Senate uh, in the new year and maybe even an outside chance of uh, keeping control of the House in the new year. So th- that is pretty critical. And that, that's one of the many factors we're going to be watching over the next seven weeks and one day. Of course, it would be better for the Democrats if it was 57 percent of independents thinking the country is headed in the right direction, or 77%, not 27%. But why has it gone up from nine in the past three months? What do they see suddenly, really two months, July to September, what do they see suddenly as going in the right direction? So many independents. Yeah, I I mean, look, you know, the, the survey doesn't necessarily ask people follow-up questions like that, but I do think we're seeing a few things. One, uh, in polling, when you ask voters if they've noticed for example that their gas prices have been going down majority have noticed that the ga- that the price of uh, gasoline has been going down uh i think voters also see that washington has accomplished a few things including the Biden administration has accomplished a few things that for uh voters on the sort of left side of the left side of the median of the electorate uh, priorities that they want to see get accomplished, whether or not the Inflation Reduction Act in, it actually reduces inflation uh, remain to be seen. But it does make <clears throat> big investments in healthcare and in climate and energy uh, that I think have been big priorities for a lot of voters. So plus, there is just, a, a, I, I think, a kind of natural, almost dead cap bounce if something does happen in Washington, if Congress passes something and the president uh, uh, signs it into law, then there shows that perhaps Washington is not as fundamentally broken as mm-hmm. maybe some of those voters had believed. Let me ask you about the Latino voters breakout in that New York Times Siena poll. Latinos are a big battleground population group in swing states this year. I mentioned in the intro that the Times article on their poll said only a third of Latino voters say they are likely to vote Republican for Congress this year. 
but they are split about evenly on which party they say they agree with more on issues. Does that represent any kind of change in the last few years? First, I, I want to um, give some props to the Times and Siena College for doing uh, sort of an ambitious oversample of uh, Latino voters so that we could even have this analysis. Um, if you read the Times' Nate Cohn, uh, his new newsletter uh, that he is publishing in the run-up to the midterm elections, he talks about uh, what kind of investments actually required to call people to use interviewers who speak both English and Spanish. In other polls for Spanish speakers, they uh, you know, are identified by an English interviewer and then a Spanish interviewer has to call them back later in order to conduct the survey in Spanish. And so there's a concern about whether you're getting the right mix of Latino voters. This is a big concern for all polling. The Times put in the investment to have bilingual interviewers at the front end. Uh, and I, it, it, it is our best look, I think, at the opinions of Latino voters uh, going into this election that we've had so far and that we probably we maybe will have at all uh, until November 8th and, and voters actually we actually start to see the results of the election. Um, it, it is a slight change. I think it, it shows that, you know, Republicans just more broadly have the advantage on some of those issues like the economy, uh, where you see among Latino voters, a group that, that Democrats are leading by more than 20 points in this poll, that that is that, that they're essentially even on which party they think would do a better job uh, on the economy kind of speaks to, I think, Republicans' broader advantage more than a specific advantage and specific inroads with Latino voters. Uh, you know, I when it comes to other issues, like including immigration, it is Democrats with the advantage in this poll. And I think that does point to, and, I, and this was one of the, the sort of big takeaways from the Times article, that, you know, Republicans will have to see what happens. And, and there are areas of the country like South Florida and South Texas where this might not be true. But broadly speaking, nationally, when you include big Latino populations in states like California and Arizona, it might be that 2020 was the high watermark uh, for Republicans, just nationally speaking, even if they do flip one or two of those districts in South Texas, the three that they're targeting uh, there, even if they do hold on to the two, dis two congressional districts in South Florida that they flipped in the 2020 election, which they're widely expected to do. Uh, partially thanks to redistricting down there. Um, so I, I think that, you know, we'll, we'll have to see if Republicans do make broader inroads or if 2020 was at least their modern day sort of high watermark. And without Donald Trump on the ballot, uh, it's difficult to replicate that performance or, or improve on it. Well, with the busing or flying by Abbott and DeSantis of people from Latin American countries coming here to seek political asylum, if we can assume one main reason for doing it right now is to get those headlines that they're getting and help Republicans nationally in the midterms, do you think they're making a political calculation that these political stunts won't alienate Latino voters as much as they will attract certain white voters to come out and vote GOP? I think that's one possible assumption, you know, but I, I would also point to both and both Greg Abbott and Ron DeSantis are on the ballot this fall, but both are, are widely expected. They're, they're, they're significant favorites against uh, Better O'Rourke and Charlie Crisp in those states, respectively. Uh, the other calculation that they might be making is uh, for both Abbott and DeSantis. Uh, we, we spend more time, I think, on talking about Ron DeSantis, but certainly Greg Abbott uh, also falls into this category. Uh, they are their ambitions likely lie beyond their home states, and they're thinking about uh, likely thinking about a future campaign for the Republican presidential nomination, whether that's in 2024 or beyond. 
And so, you know, I, I would also keep that in the back of your mind, not just will it help or hurt their campaigns for reelection? Will it help or hurt Republicans uh, in the general election this year? But also, what does it mean for Abbott and DeSantis to get the headlines at this time uh, when typically speaking, we see the first declarations for, of candidacies in a presidential election coming in the one, two, three months after the midterm elections, which means, you know, if the midterms are 50 days from now, we may be two and a half months away from seeing candidates start to declare mm. that they're running for president. And so I, in 2024. And so I, I would just keep that in the back of your mind. And, and, and ultimately, even if Republicans do make further inroads among Hispanic voters this year, the electorate, especially in the early states, that will help pick the next presidential nominee in Republican primaries and caucuses is just just much whiter and um, does not have a particularly large share of Latino voters as part of it. Yeah, you didn't say much wider. You said much whiter, right? That's correct. Yes, I said much whiter. Sorry. Just so it's clear to our listeners uh, what that context is. Yeah, and President Biden himself said on 60 Minutes last night that he would wait until after the midterm elections to declare whether he's going to run for re-election. But he used that um, very near-term marker, November 8th, the midterm election day, um, as the point after which he might say at any time. You, you had a piece on Politico the other day called, Is Florida Officially a red state. No Democrat has won for president, senator, or governor there in a decade, meaning no statewide vote. Conservative Cubans whose families fled Castro are a vital constituency, as we all know. But Venezuelan immigrants generally share those politics because of the left-wing strongman Chavez and now Maduro down there. But DeSantis sent largely Venezuelans to Martha's Vineyard last week as kind of an unwanted population. Do you see any signs of a backlash? I don't know that we see signs of a backlash yet, but I am kind of closely monitoring the reaction of some other politicians in Florida uh, I think as they try to figure out which way the politics are going to swing on this, um, whether that's Marco Rubio or some uh, politicians down the ballot, uh, you know, the two South Florida uh, Hispanic members of Congress who flipped Democratic seats in 2020, for example, Carlos Jimenez and uh, Maria Vara Salazar, uh, also someone like uh, uh, Mario Diaz-Balart. You know, we, we, I think we do need to uh, kind of pay close attention to see how they're reading the politics there. Uh, certainly, this is not a move without political risk uh, for Governor DeSantis um, to the extent that, that he was personally involved in making this decision. And I think there are a lot of unanswered questions about that, too. So, I, it, you know, I, I think the politics are kind of up in the air here. It, it was it does seem like the kind of thing. And, and we'll wait to see what the polling shows. I know we're asking about it in, in our weekly survey, but uh, those results won't be in for a couple of days, uh, just as the, the American public sort of digests this and learns about it. Um, but it does seem like it's going to be popular among Republican base voters. But whether that translates to the electorate in Florida, for example, where Republicans mm -hmm. do lean on a significant share of Hispanic voters, including some with the ethnic and, and, and um, ancestral makeup that you described, I, you know, I think we're just going to have to wait and see how that plays out. Yeah, one more question on this topic, then we'll move on to some other things. 
the Eric Adams clip that we played at the top saying he reached out to Governor Abbott of Texas to launch a national coordinated strategy for housing the hundreds of thousands who have come in the last year seeking asylum from desperate circumstances. But Abbott never replied to this outreach. And we don't see Abbott sending migrants equally to Democratic and Republican locations, just to New York and Chicago and D.C. and Martha's Vineyard to say, in your face, Democrats. In your analysis of the polls, how motivating an issue is this to Republican voters around the country in districts that are not directly affected one way or another, but that might be important swing districts this year as they kind of, you know, are spectators on this. It's clear that for Republican voters, immigration is an important issue. And I think we saw that play out in Republican primaries across the country, very far from um, the southern border with Mexico. You know, we just had primaries last week in New Hampshire. Uh, They were competitive Republican primaries for Senate, for the state's two congressional districts. Uh, all of the all those seats are held by Democrats and, and Republicans are hoping to flip them. And immigration was a huge issue in those uh, primaries. Whether it continues to be a big issue acc- beyond the Republican primary electorate, uh, I think is is an open question. And to the extent that this sort of provocative move uh, either highlights or potentially, and, and I think this is this is yet to be seen, um, it either highlights for Republican, uh, you know, for, for these uh, for swing voters will highlight the Biden administration and the current uh, Democratic control of Congress and how they're handling immigration. Or it might detract from that and, and look like uh, a stunt that's pulled by ambitious Republican politicians uh, for the sake of their own careers mm. and possible advancement in a GOP presidential primary and not in the best interests of, of either these people or of their own consti- or, or of their constituents. Uh, you know, I think that battle is that messaging battle is underway. And I think it's one reason why you saw the mayor of New York uh, try to send a message that he cared more about these people and that he didn't get a phone call back from uh, the Texas governor. Can I touch a couple of races with you uh, outside uh, uh, other than the New Jersey race that Nancy was talking about? I know you've been, um, covering things. You wrote about the New Hampshire Republican primary that just took place for U.S. Senate last week, last primary in the country. Who won and with what implications for challenging Democratic Senator Maggie Hassan? Uh, So it was retired Army uh, Brigadier General Don Boldick who won. Uh, Boldick was definitely the more extreme candidate in the race. Uh, A Republican super PAC popped up in the final two weeks of that campaign to promote a different candidate, uh, State Senate President Chuck Morse, a more moderate candidate. Uh, they also criticized Boldick in their television ads, uh, calling, uh, saying that he had some crazy ideas uh, that were far on the right. Uh, we have yet to, we, will, we won't find out for another few days who funded that, but every indication is that it probably was related to, to Mitch McConnell's uh, political network. Clearly, they wanted more, so they didn't want Boldick. Uh, this is a state that Joe Biden carried by seven points, but Maggie Hassan won for her election six years ago in 2016 by only 1,000 votes. Super, super close. One of the closest mm-hmm. elections that we've seen for Senate so, in a very long time. So let me this move is this along because we're almost out of time. This is one of those states you're telling us where the more radical Republican won the primary, and that may help the Democrat. Yes, and you know, d- Democratic groups... 
also worked in the primary to depress enthusiasm for Morse, the more moderate candidate. They wanted to face Boldick. Now they have him. Uh, and I think I think his his nomination does make Hassan the, the favorite in that race. But it, it is going to be uh, a battle. And you're reporting on other similar states. Arizona's another one. Dr. Oz versus Josh Fetterman in Pennsylvania. Herschel Walker challenging Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock in Georgia. All along these lines, your forecast now on Politico has the Senate as a total toss-up. So last question, what about the House? The House, we still have Republicans favored to win. Uh, this is they have a number of advantages, including in redistricting, where, as Nancy said, that the Democratic map that was adopted by the state's redistricting commission uh, sacrificed one of their their seats. Malinowski still has a chance to win, but he's the underdog, uh, as Nancy described. And th- that happened in a lot of states across the country. Republicans have an advantage coming out of redistricting. They have a little bit of political wind at their back, though, certainly less so than they had a few months ago. Uh, And these races are also nationalized in a way that some of these Senate races, voters in Georgia are going to know a lot about Herschel Walker. Voters in Pennsylvania are going to know a lot about Mehmet Oz. That's not necessarily going to be the case in some of these congressional districts where even some of the more extreme Republicans who won primaries might still be able to survive in the general election in swing districts because voters just don't know a lot about them. And they'll choose the Republican candidate as a check and balance on Democratic control of Washington. Steve Shepard is Senior Campaigns and Elections Editor and Chief Polling Analyst for Politico. Thanks for coming on again, Steve. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.